Well, do you have your Bibles with you? I think I heard somebody say that yes in a very sarcastic, angry way. No, I don't think so. Can you get those Bibles out, whether it's the electronic version or your paper version, and open it up to Jude, and let's get right to the end of it. Remember, we're memorizing two verses as a church. We're going to memorize two verses as a church, so let's read those. I'm going to read it, and you follow along. And we'll reference these verses a little bit today during the, the message. Jude, there's only one chapter, so you got to like that. This is a man's book. It's one chapter, 25 verses. Verse 24, here's what it says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, honestly, don't raise your hand if you haven't. How many of you have memorized verse 24? I'm not going to call on you, so don't worry. How many of you raise a high? Okay. That's, I don't know, I'm, I'm rough guessing, maybe 35%, no, let's say 36.8% rough guess. How many of you have memorized verses 24 and 25? Alright, so how many of you have not yet memorized any portion of that, those verses? Just knowing the word now exists in that does not count. How many of you have not memorized any portion of it? Raise your hand. Alright, so now, well, keep your hands up. If you will try to memorize those two verses, keep your hand up. All right, let's get going on it. Let's be the people of God's word. Let's get this memorized. We're going to do this in each of the series that we are going to be working through from now on. There'll be verse or verses that we're going to memorize. So memorizing hides the word of God in our heart. Now, why I'm saying this and why I'm pushing this a little bit more today now, I want you to hear this. You ready? Because if you do not care about the truth of God's word, you're not going to be really very bothered by those who distort it. I'm going to say that again. If you don't care very much about the truth of God's word, you're not going to be very bothered by those who distort it. And Peter, in his epistle, the second book that he wrote, he warned his readers that some false teachers were going to come. And he warned them what they're doing with the Apostle Paul's teaching. He said, which these ignorant and miserable or unstable people, they twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, he's equating Paul's epistles with the other scriptures. He's put it on the level of the other scriptures. He's saying that these false teachers, these people that don't care about truth, they twist the word of God. They're unstable. Do you know that a person... I hope you hear this. Do you know that a person can twist... The scriptures in nearly infinite ways to get it to suit their preferences. Did you know that? I want you to watch this video and watch a preacher do just that. 
the Apostle John tells us that as soon as the lovely Lord Jesus Christ is made aware of the shortage of non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic, I'm stuck, non-alcoholic beverage, he sets out with a divine and deliberate solution. Time out. If you think Jesus turned water into Mogan David, you interpret Scripture like a Jehovah Witness. We don't hear much preaching on it, Dr. Anderson, but I know that Jesus in John chapter 2 did not turn water into Mogan David. I know that He didn't because there's a verse in the Old Testament that says it's a capital S, it's a capital I, it's a capital N uh, to give your neighbor strong drink. Uh, So if Jesus would have turned water into Mogan David, that would have been sin and He couldn't be the sinner's sinless, supernatural, spectacular substitute. Jesus was not a bartender. Did you hear him throw the doctor degree in there? Did you hear the passion? The conviction in his voice? He's arguing that Jesus would never have turned water into wine, an alcoholic beverage. And the verse that he's pulling on is Habakkuk 2.15 from the Old Testament. And it reads this, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their wickedness. This is, this is the verse that he's citing. Which is actually a verse where God lays charges against the Babylonian people using very evocative imagery of exploitation. Now, drinking excessively is sin. Bible's clear. But to use this verse as proof that Jesus did not turn water into wine that has alcoholic content, friends, listen, it's absurd. It's absurd. There is bad preaching, there's bad teaching, and then there's false and there's heretical teaching. And what Jude is exposing in this book, what we're learning and what we're studying, what he's bringing for us to understand is not bad teaching or not poor teaching. It's wrong teaching. It's false teaching. It's a poison. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, I cannot endure false doctrine. However neatly it may be put before me, would you have me eat poison meat because the dish is of the choicest where? That's what false doctrine is. And it's all through the church. It's on the TV. It's on the radio. It's up to you to see if it's through my preaching or Pastor Matthew, Pastor Tim's preaching. You've got to discern that. But we cannot endure false doctrine. We've got to contend for the faith. Remember last week, if you were here last week, we looked at the first heresy. Now, here's, get your Bible. This is how you know you take my, what I'm saying, you keep putting it back to the Word of God. When you're reading, when you're reading a book that's written by an author, claims to be giving you knowledge of God, wants to feed into your soul and into your mind. Listen, you read that book while you've got this one open. Do you see that? You read that book while you've got this one open. And this one's of a higher authority than this one. This is the highest authority. So when I'm preaching, or when anybody's preaching, this has got to be open because guess what? I can make mistakes. 
And if you've got your mind in the Word of God, and if you've got the Word of God in your mind, you're going to hear my mistakes, and you're going to be able to do what we talked about last week. You're going to be able to love me enough to come up and caution me, or correct me, and that's okay for you to do. So we looked at the first heresy last week, verse 4. You ready? Get your Bibles open. Here's what it says. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Here's our text for today. Who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Here's our text rather today. It's going to be the second part of that verse 4. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Remember, it was cheap grace. It was hyper grace. It was the teaching that since all of our sins, now here's what it was, all of our sins, since they're, since they're put on to Christ on the cross, then it doesn't really matter if we sin in 10 minutes. It doesn't matter what we do tomorrow. Those sins were already paid for. If they're already, if you've got a blank check of grace that's inexhaustible, then you can do whatever you want. That's what they're teaching. There's no drive to holiness with these false teachers. There's no, you've got to kill sin with the grace of God. We've got to come around each other so you stop sinning so much. There's none of that. There is, you've got a blank check of grace. You can sin all you want. We also looked last week that if you've got that hyper grace in there, that you've got a heart that is no longer full of sin because it's all been put on Christ. And guess what? You can come out of there in hyper grace with the belief that you're no longer a sinner. That you've reached it. You've attained it. You're no longer going to sin. Your heart is pure. Your heart is righteous. So you can get to the point where you, you no longer can sin. That's hyper grace. But today we're looking at a second heresy. It's in the second part of verse 4. Let me read it again. Deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's that mean? What's that word mean to deny? What it means is to disown. Now if you've got a Bible, here's what I always encourage you to do. If you've got a Bible and you've got a pen that won't bleed through your scriptures, i got a special pens. I get them from Staples. They don't, they don't go through the, the thin pages of my Bible so they don't blot up the next page. But I'd encourage you to take your Bible, underline, deny, and write in your margin, disown. That's what it means. They were disowning Jesus. They were disowning Jesus. For the, some of these followers of Jesus who were fearing death or persecution, they're denying, they're disowning that Jesus is their master. They're deserting his cause. Now listen, they're not deserting an idea. Now, now you know what? It's very, very probable. Now I want you to hear this. It's very probable that somebody in a group this size will one day walk away from Jesus. Walk away from the church. Walk away from religion. It's very probable. We've got some people right now, they haven't been to church in a long, long time. We haven't heard from them. We're pursuing them as pastors. We don't know where they're at. You may walk away. Somebody here may walk away. You may disown Jesus. There's a lot of people that used to be 
walking in the church. Used to say that they were a Christian, and then something happens in their life, and they begin to drift. And if they drift long enough, they drift far enough, they disown, they deny Jesus. That doesn't mean they were a Christian, and now no longer are a Christian. We hit that the first week of this series. It means that they never were rooted in Christ. Listen, if you're rooted in Christ, you've got the keeping grace of God to help you endure to the end. These people were disowning. They never were in Christ. Now, they weren't disowning an idea. Now, listen, you might be here and you might be thinking, well, Christianity is a religion. You ready? It is a religion. Pastor Tim, no, it's not. It's a relationship. It's a religion about a relationship. It's an organized set of beliefs and theologies. We have a statement of faith. It's a religion. It's a religion, though, based not on what you need to do in order to have God love you. Rather, it's based on what God has done out of his love to pull you into salvation, to draw you into salvation, to free you from the power of sin and to free you to serve God. It's a religion based on a relationship. So when you walk away from Jesus... You're not walking away from an idea, you're walking away from a relationship. Do you see the difference? They're not disowning an idea, they're disowning a person. Look at your text, look at verse 4. They're denying not an ideal, they're denying our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Anybody here have the King James? I know, you're ashamed to admit it, perhaps. That was a joke. The King James says, denying the only Lord God, comma, and our Lord Jesus Christ. It can, it can make it seem like it's talking about two persons, but the Greek grammar requires that both those names refer to one person. This is one person. This is Jesus. See, Jude is saying that Jesus Christ is God. They're denying that Jesus Christ is God. Now, I want you to hear that because I'm going to really come on on that in a minute. He's Jesus, Jesus Christ is God. He's the master. Look at the text. He's the master. You know what that word is in the Greek language? It's despot. Not a tyrant who abuses his power. Listen, the word, the name despot most originally meant a ruler with absolute power and authority. He's a despot. The master Jesus is. And if you deny that Jesus was fully man and fully God... Fully all the time on earth. Well, that's a false doctrine. So you're going to hear in a minute that false teachers, they always do something, almost always do something with the person of Jesus. They either bring him down or they bring themselves up. Normally they do both. I'll show you that in a little bit. Michael Horton pointed out in the agony of deceit that any teaching that denies that Christ is the only begotten Son, the one and only incarnation of God. Friends, that's heresy. Not only is Jesus supreme in authority, He is the Lord. He's the honorable owner of all. That's what that word Lord means. He's more than a good man. He's more than a good teacher. His authority is not derived from God. Now listen, the board works, the board of our church, now I don't know if you know this, the board of our church works under the authority of the people of our church, the members of our church. 
And the pastors of the church work under the authority of the elders of our church. You get that? I'm not the highest authority. My little boy, Andy, said to me a while ago, he says, Dad, are you really the boss of that church? It was kind of hard. My flesh kind of wanted to take that one and run a little bit with it. I said, you know what, Andy? I'm really not. Because I have to submit, I have to do what the elders say. And guess what? The elders do what the congregation says. Final authority is not in the congregation. Listen, the congregation has to do what God says. Do you see that? It is God who is the authority. He gives the congregation ruling power. The congregation give the elders and the deacons decision-making power. And the elders and the decision give the pastors and the staff our freedom to make decisions. That's how it works. But this is, this is talking about the authority, Jude is, that Jesus had authority, not because God the Father said, Jesus, I'm going to give you some authority. You go to earth and you get done what we need done. And when you get back, I want the authority back. That's not what God did. Jesus has always had authority. He's the living, eternal Son of God. He didn't come into authority. He's had, he's had authority. He's God in flesh. See, false teaching almost always has a problem with the authority of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something. Look how Jude ends his letter. You're going to be able to recite this without even looking by the end of the series, I hope. Look what he says in verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Why is Jude saying all this? Why is he talking about the authority of God's, of Jesus Christ? Why is it verse 4? Go back to verse 4. Why is he saying such clear terminology? That they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Over and over, he's talking about the authority that Jesus Christ has. He's the rightful owner of all there is. He's God in man, the supreme authority. Why is Jude hammering that home? Well, hang on. I think we can answer that in a couple minutes. But before we do, let me take a time out. Let me ask you a couple questions if I could, and you can ask me these same questions. Now, I really want you to be honest. Now, this is a time to think, so look up here if you would. I want you to think. Don't put your minds in neutral. I mean, so far you're kind of going, man, this is a little bit of a flat sermon. I'm kind of bored. What did he say a few minutes ago? I can't remember anything. All right, so pull in. How do you do with the authority of Jesus? Now, don't be too quick. To say you got that one down. God clearly asked you to do something that you are, quite honestly, not yet willing to do. Has he allowed or even brought something into your life that you're struggling to accept? Following the Lord in that moment. He's asking you to do something that you're struggling to accept. And listen, following Christ in that moment may be one of the hardest things you've ever done. But it's that moment that you'll discover whether Jesus is your master and Lord. 
Listen, you can't tell me and I can't tell you Jesus is my master and Lord and have a sin in my life that I'm not willing to let go of. You didn't hear me say have a sin in my life that I can't beat. I didn't say that. We've all got sins, and I do too, that keep pulling me down. I'm talking about, is there a sin in your life that you're not yet willing to let go of? It's too precious to you. If that's you, then you can't say rightfully that Jesus is your Master and Lord. See, this gets a little harder when you start going deeper down into it. Can you look at verse 4 again, that very end? Do you see one word in there that puts everything into perspective? And I want you to see that. I'm going to draw it out for you. You see that word only? This is a clue, friends. This is a major clue. Identifying for us the heresy that was creeping into the church. Look at verse 25 again. Let's go back there. This is how he begins and ends his book. Look what it says. Verse 25, to the only God. There's that word again. Why is he using only twice? These are clues for us. There's a heresy that Jude is dealing with. You want to know something interesting? This heresy is in embryonic form in Jude. It was, a, it was around about 10 to 15 minutes earlier with Paul. Paul's battling it in the book of Colossians. It's strengthening. Jude is saying it's not coming. It's here. They're trying to get here. But listen, this heresy, it's not going to come into really solid form for another 25 years. And the apostle John's going to be dealing with it. He's the one that lives the longest of the apostles. And for the next three centuries, this heresy is going to be the biggest battle that the church has ever faced. In fact, listen, this heresy has never gone away. It's been the biggest battle that the church has faced in its 2,000 years of existence. And it's alive today. And I'm going to show you that. The fancy name doesn't go by that name much anymore. The devil's too smart to keep calling it the same thing. But the name is Gnosticism, from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. It's a designer belief system. Now listen, this is where you're going to be tempted to say, you know what, I've got about six minutes to take a nap. Because he's going to talk about Gnosticism. Look, I'm so kind I even told you how long your nap can be. That's love. Can I encourage you, don't take a nap. Because the rest of this message is not going to make sense until you understand what I'm about to tell you. Let me tell you about Gnosticism. It's a designer belief system. You know what that means? It means that it's adaptable. You can design it for any age. It can be customized. It was a cult. It was a philosophy. And here it is. You ready? It believed that the supreme God was too pure to touch physical matter because all matter was intrinsically evil and all spirit was good. So matter is evil. That means your skin. That means the stage that I'm on. That means the pew that you're sitting on, the glasses that are on your face. Everything in the physical world is evil inherently inside. And yet everything in the spirit world, every spirit is pure inside. And this supreme God was too holy, too pure to ever touch matter, physical property. So he created divinities, or what are called aeons. They're lesser gods. 
This is Gnosticism. So the supreme God created lesser gods, and every lesser god he created was further and further on the chain removed from the supreme god, and every god he created that was further and further removed had a little less knowledge of who the supreme god was, until finally he created one last divinity, that's the creator god. This this god was completely evil, he had absolutely no knowledge of the supreme one, and he's the god that created all that there is not the supreme god this god you know who this god was according to the gnostics it's the god of the old testament and this god of the old testament blinded the eyes of all humanity in order to keep them in bondage so that they could not rise up and realize who they were So the supreme God, listen, the supreme God had already created another God. His name was the Christ. He was the Redeemer. He was the one closest to the supreme God. He had the most knowledge of the supreme God. So God sent this Christ, this Redeemer God, to earth in order to redeem and set us free. But not set us free from sin. Listen, not to the Gnostics. They didn't believe that the Christ set us free from sin. That he set us free from ignorance. See, the problem was the Old Testament God kept us in ignorance. The New Testament God, which is the Christ, opens our eyes so that you can see that inside of you, listen, inside of you is a spark of the Supreme God, a spark of divinity. You are a God. You just need the secret knowledge, gnosis, Greek for knowledge. You need the secret knowledge that Christ came to give you to set that spark into a flame. The problem of humanity was not sin as a moral failure. It was the lack of spiritual knowledge. But the Gnostics were divided. They had two different streams of thought. One thought was that the Christ could not literally touch A man. He could not literally come inside Jesus, the man. So it was really not a physical Jesus. It was a spiritual Jesus that had the illusion of physical properties. He never left footprints, according to this stream of Gnosticism. He manifested himself to seem like he had physical properties, but he never did. The other stream of thought was that Jesus, at his baptism, the divinity of Christ came into him, and then when he was on the cross, before the sins of that God laid onto the man Jesus, right before that, he came out of him. So he was just a man on the cross, he was just a man until his baptism. But either Gnostic stream, either of them, Both of them taught that Christ came to give humanity secret knowledge that can release them from ignorant bondage to discover the power within every person. And this knowledge was available to only a few. You had to be the elect. So the Gnostics were very, very few. They believed that you were of a special class of humans. And once it was given to you, it was your job to pass it on to others of the elect. And how did you get this knowledge? Well, Christ came to give you some of that knowledge, but there's some written in the Gospels, some of that secret knowledge. But that knowledge now comes to you today through dreams, through visions, 
through experiences, through philosophies, through angels speaking them into your ears. Look at verse 8. Talks about not relying on their dreams. This is all Gnosticism the Jews battling. And what they're saying is, I have personal insight. They came through mediators sent from God, Jesus, angels, dreams. And I can teach it to you, listen, for a price. And if you learn it from me, your eyes are going to be open. And here's the worst. You're going to know who you are, your gods. Your gods. Listen, if I was a Gnostic teacher and there's, there's a church of Gnosticism around today, I'm going to show you Gnosticism is alive and as rancid as ever. But listen, if I was a Gnostic teacher and I'm teaching you, preaching to you right now, I'm going to tell you that inside of you, you've got a spark of the divinity. It's a, it's a photon from the supreme God. It's a beam of light, a particle of light that was residing in every human being. And if you listen to my words and if you believe them and you bring that secret knowledge of only what I could give to the select few called the elect, if you listen to it and you believe it, then it's going to open your eyes and you're going to see who you are and you can begin the journey to enlightenment And when you die, your spirit comes out of your evil body and it travels and journeys through the planets back to the supreme God, the pleroma, the fullness. That's what they believe. Listen, this is the original strategy of Satan and it works so well that he keeps using it over and over outside the church as well as inside the church. Outside the church as self-help guru Wayne Dyer is about to show you. Listen to this. In the New Testament, which I read completely before I wrote Wishes Fulfilled, Jesus is about to be stoned. And he says, why would you stone me? And they say, because you blaspheme. You are a man. And you claim to be God. And Jesus responds in his words, Is it not written in your laws that I have said you are gods. All of you. We are all gods. Listen, this is the oldest strategy of the devil. Listen to this from Genesis 3. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He's giving secret knowledge. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be what? Like God. Knowing good and evil, gnosis, you will have that knowledge that will enlighten you. Eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened, you will know, and when you know, you will be like God. And this is what Gnosticism taught, that we have within us this divine spark, this potential to realize our godhood, and what awakens that spark into flame is the secret knowledge that the Gnostics had. What prevents us from being on this path of enlightenment, friends, is not sin to the Gnostics. It's ignorance. So Jude wrote that some deny our only. Remember what I said? The supreme God created a whole pantheon of lesser deities. And we are those deities as well. We all have God inside of us. We are all gods. He is the only master and Lord. And these Gnostics were denying that, disowning that. Jesus Christ is among the many, many gods. He's not the only. Friends, do you realize that many are teaching these heresies today? Do you remember the aim of this series? 
Let me, let me remind you what the aim of this series is not. You ready? It's not my aim to get you mad at me. I can't believe you said that about my favorite teacher. That's not my aim. My aim is that we would know the truth. My aim is that we would learn to discern so that we can get into the ring and contend, that we can battle for the truth, that you will not be and I will not be deceived by false preaching and false teaching. You ever heard of Rhonda Byrne and her book, The The Secret? She had a follow-up book called The Magic. Here's what the promo says. For more than 20 centuries, words within a sacred text have mystified, confused, and have been misunderstood by almost all who, re- who read them. Only a very few, this is Gnosticism, throughout history have realized that the words are a riddle. And that once you solve the riddle, once you uncover the mystery, a new world will appear before your eyes. There's the promo in The Magic, the book The Magic, Rhonda Byrne reveals this life-changing knowledge to the world. That's Gnosticism. And there's a lot of them, a lot of preachers, there's a lot of teachers who claim, listen, you gotta hear this, they're claiming to have secret, special knowledge. That's been given to them exclusively. It's not knowledge that you get when you read and study the word of God and God's word fills your mind. This is not that knowledge. This is knowledge that is beyond the word of God. Listen to this. Now, I don't know what hell looks like. But God gave me a few ideas. It is hot, fire hot, but at the same time it is cold and clammy. That is kind of different, isn't it? Fire hot, but cold and clammy. How does Joyce Meyer know that? She claims that God gave her that special knowledge. How about that Gnostic belief that the Christ left Jesus on the cross so that he was just a man? You remember that Jesus was just a man when he was born until the Christ came into him at baptism and then on the cross the Christ left him and he became just a man again? Listen to this from Joyce. Jesus could have helped himself up until the point where he said, I commend my spirit into your hands. At that point, he couldn't do nothing for himself anymore. He had become sin. He was no longer the son of God. He was sin. Do you know what that is? That's false teaching. I'm going to tell you at best that's bad teaching. And I do believe Joyce Meyer is being used by the Lord in many ways, but she's got some bad theology. He didn't, he became no longer the son of God? Really? I mean, God left him? Kenneth Copeland, why didn't Jesus openly proclaim himself as God during his 33 years on earth? For one single reason. He hadn't come to earth as God. He'd come as man. Listen to Paul, who's battling, the Apostle Paul, battling Gnostic heresy. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And if you have been filled in him, who is, 
and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul is affirming that Jesus is fully God. He is fully man. There was never a time where he was not fully God and fully man on this earth. But you've got word faith teachers like Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, Fred Price, Creflo Dollar, not only do they demote Christ to bring him down to our level, they promote humans to be on his. This is what Gnosticism did. It brought Christ down. He was a lesser divinity. He was a lesser deity. He came to earth and he didn't have all the power to be able to live inside of a human being. It brings Christ down, but yet where God's Gnostic said, it brings us up. It evens the playing field. I want you to listen to this from Creflo Dollar. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are God's little G. You are God's because you came from God and you are God's. You're not just human. The only human part about you is this physical body that you live in. The real me is just like God. Now, if you know your word of God, you know Psalm 82 and you know what Jesus said. Jesus said we are God's. He got that from Psalm 82. This is where all these word faith teachers get this. But Psalm 82, when you look in the context, is talking about the word God that means in the Hebrew judge or ruler. He's talking about those judges who were in charge of his people who were not giving justice. He's using a word God, but it means ruler and judge in the Hebrew language. He says you're judges, but you're not judging justly. But they rip it out of context, the the word faith teachers, and what they create is heresy. Listen to this heresy. According to Hebrews, that Jesus is our high priest, and he's the first of many brethren, which means I now come into a priestly anointing. So I now can... Say that again, because they don't get it. I now come into a priestly anointing. Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God. He is not. I'm a son of God. He's the first fruit. He's the first fruit. He's the firstborn of many. Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God. Can you believe that? That's Randy Huck and Paula White. They have massive audiences. She spoke in a stadium that had to have at least 15,000 women. This is the junk. This is the heresy that is coming into the church. He was not the only begotten son of God, really? Despite the fact that the scripture says over and over that he is, they found new revelation outside of the Word of God, that to them says, no, He's not the only begotten Son of God. We're, we're begotten. We're gods as well, they're saying. Or take Casey Treat, who speaks to thousands of people every week. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost had a conference. And they said, let us make man an exact duplicate of us. Now that's heresy. He goes on, when God looks in the mirror, he sees me. When I look into the mirror, I see God. This isn't that we are made in the image of God, which we surely are. And sin has fractured that like a rock through a mirror. God is recovering that through Christ. But being made in the image of God is not the same. In fact, it's a completely different from being an exact duplicate of God. We're created below God. We're not created on his level. Which is what Kenneth Copeland says. You don't have a God in you. You are one. 
And when I read in the Bible where Jesus says, I am, I say, yes, I am too. And because of this heresy, Copeland says, quit praying to the Holy Spirit. Pray to yourself, your God. Or pray with secret knowledge of what Benny, Benny Hinn and Miles Monroe say that we've got. This authority that he says, that they say we have. Listen to this. We get the mind of God about His will. We pray it. When we pray it, we give Him legal right to perform it. Yes. Let me define prayer for you in this show. Prayer is man giving God permission or license to interfere in earth's affairs. In other words, prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. Listen, when you can believe that you're a God, and you can bring Jesus down and elevate yourself, demote him and promote you, then you will result in a mindset that says you can actually command God. And your prayers are giving him authoritative permission to break into the affairs of man. Or what Robert Tilton said, we make our own promises to do our part. Then we could tell God on the authority of his word what we would like him to do. That's right. You can actually tell God what you would like his part in the covenant to be. Or listen to Jesse Duplantis, who's got a massive following as he begins to try to convince us that God actually comes to Jesse and asks for his opinions. Friends have frank and open conversations with each other. I've done that with the Lord. I've had the Lord say, uh, Jesse, I've had God come tell me, say, this is what I'm going to do. I've had the Lord say, what do you think about this? God has asked me for my opinion. Now listen, this is not poor teaching. This is not bad teaching. This is false teaching. Friends, this is heresy. It is an open denial of our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Gnosticism said that's the God of the Old Testament, that's the creator God who is evil and completely ignorant of the supreme God. He wrote the Old Testament. You can't go by the Old Testament. Listen, it doesn't matter that Jesus continually, along with the apostles, quoted from the Old Testament. What they would say in Gnosticism is that the Old Testament, this is the Old Testament God blinding our eyes. He's not the only God. You're a God. I'm a God. We've got the spark of God inside of us. Fan it into flame with secret knowledge. And get on your journey of enlightenment until you find your way back to the fullness of the Supreme God. Look what they do, verse 4 again. They deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. You know how bad the Gnostics were? Again, they had two different ways, two, two divergent streams sprang up. Now listen, because this will make sense of the first part of verse 4. One stream said this, Since the body is unredeemably corrupt and completely evil, 
and because the spirit is pure and untaintable by evil, then you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter because that won't stain your spirit. So one of these streams said, sin all you want. Do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. You're divine. You're God. You're spirit. The other stream said no. They pursued the route of asceticism that said, we've got to be monastic. We've got to command our bodies. We can't touch evil. We can't look on evil. We've got to do everything we can to stay away from the evil taint of the, of the body, on, on the moral taint onto the soul. Two streams came up. But both of them believed that they're gods. Friends, there are all kinds of false teaching that's coming out of the pulpits of churches. All kinds. It is, I'm scratching the surface with you. I mean, how many of you are getting angry? How many of you get sick when you see these things? Listen, there are thousands and thousands of people being deceived by these preachers. Thousands. We've got to know the truth so well that we can discern the false. And my aim in this series is to wake us up to the attack on the faith in our day. Now listen, if you've read my blog, which I encourage you to do, you're going to know that we are walking on the bones of thousands of saints who have fought this same battle and died for the faith before us. And maybe, maybe it's time for us, and in fact I think it is time for us, to step into the Agon. Remember the Agon, the place of the contest we learned last week? The Octagon, the ring? It's time for us to step into the Agon and contend for the faith. Now, maybe your agon is your workplace. Because maybe there's some people in your workplace, co-workers, maybe even your bosses that are deceived and they're spreading lies. Maybe it's in the classroom of your high school and your college. It's coming from your professor and your, your co-classmates are believing this. Or maybe it's in the neighborhood. You know, we have some people, the Jehovah's Witnesses coming to our house. You know what my wife did? My wife knows so much about Jehovah's Witness and Mormon. She studied it so much. You know what she did? She set them, she told them the truth. She got her Bible out and said, listen, here's what your Bible says. Let me show you why your Bible says that. They took away, they took out of it this section. Let me tell you what the original manuscripts were interpreted to say. And you know what? They never come back. But you know what my wife does? She goes around the neighborhood to some of our neighbors saying, listen, if those people come to you, don't believe them. Because here's what they're going to tell you. And here's the truth. And I'd love to talk to you more about it. That's her stepping into the agon of our neighborhood. Can I encourage you? Get on my blogs regularly because I'm going to be going deeper in my blogs into some of these dangerous false teachings and answering them from Scripture. I don't have the time to do that in these sermons. Get on those blogs, get stepping into the ring. You're on the bones of thousands of saints. They are the great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 12. And let's fight and battle for the faith. Amen?